Hello and welcome to Food to Go, the new food podcast brought to you by the dynamic duo Josh and Beth, more iconic than Anton Deck. Good morning, Beth and Anton Deck, a dynamic duo. You have more Batman and Robin would be our style, I think. Me, of course, as the Capes Crusader and you as Robin. What? But... Why am I Robin? There's nothing wrong with being Robin. He does a lot of good work. He fights crime in Gotham. Batman wouldn't be Batman without Robin, so I don't be looking down on Robin. Everyone needs a Robin. Do you know what though? I would really like a new food logo that we could project into the sky. Wouldn't that be great marketing? Yeah, like if we need an expert to come on the podcast, we'll just sort of shine <laughs> an apple onto the shard. Um, so listeners, if you're in London and you see a big apple illuminated on London skyscrapers, check your emails because there'll be an invite for a podcast coming your way. <laughs> Oh, brilliant. Well, we've actually got, you know, all jokes aside, quite a serious podcast. Yeah, we have. And a powerful one coming up. With so much that's happening in the world right now, between a war in Europe and a worsening cost of living crisis, we thought it would be appropriate to discuss worker wellness and not just physical health, but also mental health as well. Yeah, that's absolutely right, Beth. In particular today, we're going to look at the hospitality industry and the food manufacturing sector as well. As ever, we do do our research for this, even though it might sound like we don't. Some quite worrying statistics that we found, unfortunately. Uh, just one that popped up for me. A recent Royal Society for Public Health survey reported that four out of five, so that's 84%, of hospitality workers reported increased stress which is believed to be a direct consequence of their job. And worryingly, nearly half would not recommend a career in the hospitality industry to another. That's quite the stat. Yeah, absolutely. So to learn more about this problem, not just obviously, you know, in hospitality, but also just in the food and beverage sector as a whole, so manufacturing, you know, across the supply chain, and what can be done to promote a healthier, happier working environment, we brought in Leslie Cooper, workplace wellness consultant and founder of Working Well. Hello, Leslie. Welcome to the show. Oh, hi there. Thank you so much. It's great to be here. So tell us about Working Well. Working Well is a management consultancy that's been around for 25 years, helping organisations take a slightly more proactive approach to uh, managing employee well-being in our modern, go faster, do more with less type of, of world. Great. And in terms of, you know, worker wellness, which is our topic for today, can you tell us a bit how that's evolved over the last sort of 10 years, particularly within hospitality and manufacturing? Yeah, sure. I mean, interest in, in well-being has, has been there for you know a couple of decades now. And, and um, I think it's fair to say that it stayed fairly high on people's agenda. But but what's interesting is the shift has there's been a shift away from it being a sort of welfarey, nice to have, as once described to me by a client, FMCG client, sort of sweatbands and apples, towards something that's that recognizes actually that there's a, a very clear relationship between employee well-being and performance. And of um, course the hospitality and food and beverage businesses well understand that there is such pace in their working environments that well-being actually has a, a real commercial side to it as well. 
what would you say has been sort of the driver for people to start taking worker wellness much more seriously as it should be? I think exactly that. I think the recognition that actually, you know, everyone knows that good work is is good for you. But why? You know, what is the connection between employee well-being and performance? And FMCG, food and beverage businesses, all fast and manufacturing, you know, everybody needs to find ways of producing as much as possible from their their workforce their kind of fixed overhead without damaging them in the process and and that brings obviously employee well-being right front and center because if we if our employees are not as well as they could be then simply they can't perform as well as they they might and that doesn't just mean you know more widgets or more production it means bringing their whole selves to work being creative, being innovative, being able to collaborate well with colleagues. It's absolutely central to business sustainability and and reliability. Uh, So to ask your original question, a long way away from just being a kind of welfare-y thing, it's fundamental to business performance. And in terms of taking sort of worker wellness more seriously, would you say that we are getting to a point where we're not just taking physical wellness kind of into account but also mental well-being as well because you know there has been a stigma attached to to mental health you know have we sort of crossed over to a point where now mental health is on the same sort of you know seen on the same sort of level I suppose. Yeah it's a great question I think it has been I mean I think when you doing this nearly 25 years and when I first started talking to clients about this it was all very much around fitness you know being physically active and there was a campaign you know even 20 years ago that really we should be approaching mental well-being in the same way as we kind of emotionally approach physical well-being I think if anything they've overtaken each other I mean they are obviously related and there's a lot of evidence that you know being physically active is very beneficial for people's emotional mental health but certainly post-covid interest in how employees mental health is faring under you know significant pressures that that everybody faces in in modern work and life is probably more prominent now than it ever has been and certainly the proliferation of sort of mental health first aid services and treatment services and and general employee support is evidence that companies recognize just how important emotional mental health is to their business. Leslie, as the dream interviewee that you are, you've just segued absolutely perfectly into our next question by mentioning the, the big C word in COVID. I think we're probably coming to the end of mentioning that, thank God, but it's quite important, this conversation. What impact do you think COVID-19 has had on worker wellness within the hospitality sector and indeed the manufacturing sector in the last two, what is it now, three years? Obviously, in manufacturing or any consumer-facing business, the show must go on. So COVID had massive impacts. As you might have thought that, you know, if you were furloughed, that there'd be an opportunity to spend time at home, you know, clearing out cupboards or doing things that had been putting off forever. That never happened because, you know, the pressure to perform just intensified for everybody. And into that space came, you know, not news we've we've all spoken of it you know the sheer complexity of trying to balance an intensified demand in some respects from work to now do that at home wherever possible and 
to juggle that balance that with competing demands from you know children other aspects of life policing boundaries just became in incredibly difficult so one of the things that we observed certainly for office-based workers in in those industries who then started working from home was just the extension of the working day because that's how that's how it happened <laughs> you know the, the way you police the boundaries the, the boundary is difficult to police and therefore you just the day just gets extended so it's obviously had massive implications in in the short term in the longer term many of those things now people have started to drift back into offices haven't really changed this you know there's some flexibilities isn't there around being able to work from home different days of the week and that's that's really helpful for people but some of those changes are almost in terms of a longer working day seem to be fairly permanent actually that even though people have gone back to the office they they still seem to have if there ever was a concept of nine to five you know a separation between home and work that's gone now it seems and that is to some extent balanced by increased flexibility but overall I it looks from where we sit and from the conversations we have with with clients and employees that generally that the working days got longer and stayed longer and that those lines between work and life have got even more blurred than perhaps they were before. Absolutely that's a really interesting point we've spoken there about I suppose the staff that are more office based in the industry if we turn our attention now to our suppose what you could describe as the more practical end of the the food and bev industry and indeed the hospitality industry you mentioned it, it's an extremely high pressure environment. In the research for this podcast, something that I came across and that we've come across a few times in the last few years is, is substance abuse within the hospitality industry. It's often been called an open secret by sort of high profile chefs and, and major D's, etc. Is that a problem that you found exists within the industry or do you think that that's kind of a bit of a, a bit overblown, a bit overstated? It's a, it is undoubtedly present. I mean, whether it's as universal as the column inches kind of suggest, we haven't seen that, if I'm honest. But I, it's definitely a, a strategy. You know, what, what happens when you place human beings in environments where they, you know, feel overwhelmed, perhaps, or just, you know, really at the end of their kind of coping envelope, then, then people reach out for different strategies and, and different ways of, of coping. And obviously, substance abuse is... is potentially a factor because it's the numbing effect or because of the energizing effects what is universal is that if you know every there is a human performance curve and there comes a point for everybody where that kind of growing stretching what we used to say standing on the desk singing the company song type feeling you get when you're busy and engaged and and pressure is still positive there is a point at which that tips into something that's no longer stretching and actually starts turning into into strain. And, and if that pressure continues with no change in any other factor, like growing more um, sustainable, if you like, coping strategies in terms of checking the internal story, checking the boundaries, thinking about how we're responding, whether there are different ways of responding to this pressure than just kind of the habitual one, which is what we'll all default to, of course, then that strain sector quickly, quickly turns into, into overwhelmed. And then it's very difficult to use more sustainable, personally sustainable strategies for coping with that pressure. And, and that does leave people vulnerable to 
alcohol and drug abuse because it's a quick fix. It's, it relieves the pain. But what's universal is the fact that every human being will, at some stage will have a point where you stop stretching and growing as a result of, of pressure and it starts to feel very uncomfortable. And it's at that point that, you know, you need to pick the right strategy, which is going back to corporations, why there is so much focus on wellbeing to try and give employees the tools they need to be able to manage that pressure so that it keeps producing good, energising, stretching, positive outcomes for both the employee and the company and, and not tip into something more toxic. Yeah, they're all really good points, Leslie. And, and, and you mentioned that coping strategy aspect what can companies do then if we look at the other side of the table what can businesses do to manage workplace wellness more efficiently and keep an eye on their employees great question the reality is there's kind of three levels of intervention and it's worth just labeling them really that there's you know primary intervention which is kind of addressing the source what where is the pressure coming from then there's secondary intervention which is okay how are people responding to that because it's often the case that the primary source is difficult, not always impossible, but difficult to address. But the secondary intervention, which is how do we respond, that's got some potential in terms of, of adaptability. And if you change the response, you get a different outcome. And then there's the tertiary, which is the treatment end of things. So when you know we haven't been able to prevent it and we haven't responded in the, the most optimal way, and we've now got poor well-being or damaged mental health or a physical morbidity of some sort, then we're into treatment, which is the kind of, you know, tertiary end of things. Traditionally, and still to some extent, the focus in organisations is on the treatment end because it's easier to do. You know, you there's a, a observable proliferation of uh, well-being services available for employees to kind of make themselves feel better or heal themselves after the event. So you, your question is, what's the best way to do it? And the best way to do it is to do one of is to do all three simultaneously and not rely too heavily on just kind of what we call cleaning up fish, <laughs> because if you throw them back in a dirty pond, they're just going to get sick again. So you also need to check the quality of the water you know, good work is good for you, but how good is the work here? How do, what does it feel like to work here? So the best answer is to involve the employees, you know, creating opportunities for structured and safe dialogue around some of these things. You know, what does it feel like to work here? How safe do we feel around each other? If I've if I'm struggling, do I feel able to tell someone I'm struggling or do I just have to kind of get on with that and progress through that performance curve until I get to the point where I'm looking for a strategy that perhaps is not the best one for me to make myself feel better? So the technical answer and the emotional answer is to, is to address the sources as well as, you know, giving people the skills and tools to be able to respond to pressure in the right way and have treatment services available for when all that fails, because inevitably it will, because the company doesn't obviously have the ability to control all the variable factors. So it's a long answer, but there is a technical answer to it because it's we tend to go for treatment, but actually the longer term, you know, 5G wellbeing programme and strategy will also have time and effort put into asking the employees what would better look like and how can we collectively get that together rather than telling them what they need and encouraging them just to use it because that it does you know it has some benefits but it doesn't always 
it's not really a, a longer term solution. And the most enlightened organisations that we deal with, many of whom are in the FMCG and manufacturing kind of businesses, recognise that and are starting to put strategies together that, that have elements in all of those three camps. Thank you so much, Leslie. And it's great to hear that our industry is doing so well. So, you know, I think lots of people listening to this podcast will be giving themselves a pat on the back. Sticking with sort of the employer or the, you know, the company, obviously, as a business owner or, you know, or or a manager, productivity um, and getting the most out of your, your work is key. But how do you sort of balance that with well-being? You know, how do you strike a balance between work and life, I suppose? Yeah, it's a great question. The answer to it rests in understanding that they're not mutually exclusive. <laughs> Actually, when people feel and well-being is high, so is natural productivity because, you know, humans are a very connected species. You know, we like to belong. We like to feel part of something. We like to feel appreciated. So all of those, what we used to call softer skills in leadership, you know, around making people feel valued and respected and trusted and capable of being able to be open and be themselves, bring their full selves to work, actually means that you're going to get full, yeah, innovative and engaged performance almost by default. (laughs) So they're not mutually exclusive. And helping people, you know, obviously in a manufacturing environment, a little bit simpler because, you know, there are shifts. And when you're not on shift, you're you're not perhaps, you know, drawn into doing your emails at work. But for the at home rather, but for the for white collar workers that and you mentioned it in your question, just keeping a separation between work and life or life and work is vitally important because it is that downtime, that time away from the work that actually contributes to well-being so that when people do come to work they are able to bring their full self you know if it's less of a problem in manufacturing environments but for the kind of white collar end of, of manufacturing companies where there's often a tendency to sort of do the stuff when you're in the office or when you're working from home but it kind of intrudes into the rest of the day as well that is potentially very damaging for well-being and therefore damaging for performance because people lose the edge. Rhythmic recovery, as we call it, is the key to sustainability in high performance terms. If you want to be at the top of your game, you do need to have periods where you're doing something else. And that doesn't always mean rest, doesn't always mean lying down with a kind of wet towel on your head. You know, It can mean doing something completely different just something that is totally separate, something that that brings you joy, even if that's just kind of, you know, walking your dog for half an hour around the park or whatever, whatever floats your boat. But creating opportunities for people to do that and respecting their right to need to do that in order to be fully themselves and fully present when they are at work, for me is is the next, it's so obvious, but it's just because it's common sense doesn't make it very common. (laughs) There's lots of, there's lots of lip service being paid to that idea but then when it comes to it we're still sending emails at 10 o'clock at night which puts the employee under pressure to respond less of a problem in in manufacturing environments granted but that need to be yourself and being given space to be yourself can have enormous paybacks when you're actually at work 
Yeah, absolutely. I think there, you know, I completely agree with you. And I think sometimes you, what you get in companies is sort of that that hero culture of working really late and be like, oh, well done you. And that's rewarded. And, and you know, it's not necessarily fostering a healthy working environment. Moving on to sort of leaders, because you mentioned there about, you know, a lot about what business owners and leaders can do to alleviate stress of their workers. But, you know, that must be have quite a weight on them, you know, as a manager or as a business owner. And what can they do, you know, to ensure that they're looking after not just their employees, but themselves? It's a great question. One of the phrases we use, stolen from the airline industry, of course, is that, you know, you do need to put your own oxygen mask on before you can help anybody else. (laughs) And so one of the first things we say in kind of leadership development is that you have to really understand where your performance comes from. You know, what makes you you? What happens to you when you're tired? You know, what happens to the quality of your collaborations, your communication? How are you how are you perceived when you're, you know, tired and grumpy? <laughs> what what impact might that have? Not deliberately, but just indirectly on the people who work, who live with you, obviously, but who work with you. So, you know, self-management or self-mastery or, you know, however you want to describe that is absolutely critical for leadership. You know, get your own house in order and, and recognise that people watch you all the time. They take their cues from you. And we communicate so much non-verbally, don't we? And, and that you, you do need to recognise you are a role model and therefore you need to be an exemplar. So if you think well-being is important, then you need to be demonstrably managing your own. Otherwise, why would anybody take you seriously when you say, oh, I think well-being is really important if you're not modelling those behaviours? So it's a great question and, it, and it's one that's not always whilst being aware of it it's not always matched by behavior you know most managers you will speak to say oh yeah I get all that but but actually they're not really living it (laughs) and employees see that so the first thing they can do is you know manage their own well-being and their and practice self-mastery but then also to recognize that when we employ someone the whole person comes to work and therefore if we want the best not just the bit that does the job so if we want the best from people then we need to recognize them as humans first and and focus on the person and not on the task and the problem with pressurized working environments is that's really really easily forgotten and again as we've said many times you know food and beverage industry the pace the relentless pace of work and the constant requirement to innovate means that people can sometimes not have as much time as we would like to communicate carefully and to think about the impact that our words might have on somebody. We're, we're all kind of rushed and wanting to get the job done, but indirectly we might say something in a certain way that actually undermines what we might describe as as someone's psychological safety and when that happens all sorts of things go in reverse you know people don't feel able to share an idea or you know maybe even report something they've seen that says you know I think this is a really bad idea I don't think we should do this because blah 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 they lose their confidence in their ability to to tell it how it is and from a leadership point of view that's that's not good because what you want in an environment where everybody needs to innovate uh, is the ability to be experimental 
If people don't feel safe around you as a manager, they're not going to experiment. They're just going to stick to what they know, not stick their head above the parapet, you know, not suggest, make a suggestion that might open them up to ridicule or whatever. So what happens is people just kind of sit on their hands a little bit. That doesn't mean they're not contributing, but you're what you lose is that kind of extra bit around the edge that could be the difference between competitive success or not. So but you can't create psychological safety in a team if you're running around like a headless chicken. <laughs> so that, you know, prioritizing your own well-being and practicing self-management is critical for creating the sort of culture that enables people to to bring their full selves to work and have the brilliant idea that's just going to, you know, move the company forward. Thank you so much, Leslie. I think this has been a really healing podcast actually with some just some amazing advice. If someone is feeling a little, you know, not just a little bit, but you know, overwhelmed, I should say, what sort of places can they go to 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 get help? Obviously yourselves <laughs> as one. Most organizations happily because as we've said are approaching well-being from the kind of tertiary end of things. Most employees employers do have services available for employees to access it's interesting and very disappointing often for the people who provide these services that not all employees are aware they're there despite what the HR and occupational health people believe are very vigorous marketing campaigns it's often quite obvious when you talk to the employees they didn't even know the service existed and that's you know that's a challenge for companies but the message is that you know just the first thing you need to do is recognize that it's okay to feel the way you're feeling you know practice some some self-compassion it's normal we have this performance curve everybody has a point at which you, your particular combination of pressures balanced or not by your particular current combination of coping strategies is you're at, you've reached that point where it's like okay i'm now officially like feeling uncomfortable and recognizing that it's okay to feel like that and actually that's often the beginning of growth you know if we handle that and we respond to that in the right way then we can move on we can become you know bigger human beings whatever that sense of discomfort is is the catalyst for for potential positive growth but how we respond to that dictates what happens next and the best way to respond to that is to talk to somebody about it you know ideally qualified support if the company is providing it in terms of employee assistance program most companies have them a lot of companies now providing mental health first aid which is a kind of peer-to-peer type of, of of support the idea being that just you know once you just articulate something sometimes it starts to look a little bit more manageable so the answer to your question is just talk to somebody about it but on a more private basis it's sometimes just worth checking the internal what we call the internal story you know what are you telling yourself about what's going on sometimes we get so wrapped up in the must must do it must finish it must complete this deadline must must you know hit this target whatever it is we become so focused it's it's impossible to kind of see the bigger picture so just sometimes just stepping away from a situation and saying hang on a minute what am i telling myself what is actually going on here can just give you a little tiny space to be able to think hang on maybe there is a you know maybe I'm not quite approaching this in the right way or I'm not thinking about this the right way and that's where talking to someone else can be really really helpful because sometimes when you get it when you turn it into words instead of just 
holding your breath <laughs> and feeling, it becomes a little bit easier to see that there might actually be other solutions or that really, you know, there are things you, you can do that, that might make the whole situation feel less less threatening but it starts with understanding that it's perfectly normal it's not a sign of weakness it's a sign of being human which is just you know ultimately what we need to remember absolutely leslie thank you so much for your time today it's been a pleasure to speak with you you're so welcome thank you very much for inviting me Well, Josh, what did you think? Yeah, it was really good, wasn't it, Bethan? Obviously, Leslie's an expert and she's got some great points. I feel more reassured, having spoken to Leslie, that there is help out there and that there are not just help, there's strategies in place. I thought that was really, really important. We focus on cure so much, don't we? Um, in all aspects of our life, but especially when it comes to mental health, we focus on treatment. We don't necessarily think about the other side to it and prevention um, and intervention, which I thought was a really, really important point. And just as an aside, I absolutely love that analogy of putting your own mask on first. I've actually heard it in the last couple of weeks on a different podcast that I listen to. And it's just funny how it works that way that you hear the same thing in quick succession. You're no good to anybody else if your oxygen mask isn't working. And you're no good to your friends or indeed your colleagues if, if you're not looking after yourself. I think that's something that we can all probably take away. Yeah, absolutely. I thought it was a really interesting point that, that Leslie said about employers not realising there are things in place as well, because it can be fantastic if a company puts, you know, strategies in place, but then if no one knows about it, then they're not going to make, you know, they're not going to be able to make the most of it. So I think, you know, one of the important takeaways that we can get from this podcast is actually not just having the strategies, but actually airing the fact that you have them. And I, I don't know whether that comes down to the fact that maybe there is still a stigma attached to things like mental health and, you know, talking openly about that. But um, I think certainly just as with food safety culture, I think workplace wellness needs to come from the top you need to be actively seen that you are taking care of yourself that you are speaking about these things openly because then other people will take the lead you know your lead and will also start to think well actually it's okay that you know as Leslie was saying it's okay that I'm not okay and I can actually be honest about that and I can be open about it I think you're right Beth. I think there is still a stigma especially in the workplace I think sort of in our personal lives we've perhaps moved away from that or are moving away from that that stigma, but I think it worked. There's still an attitude of, well, you leave it front of the door and you arrive and you're, you're this different person. And, and, and Leslie made a great point that when you employ someone, you do employ 100% of them. You don't employ the work side of them. And just sort of events this week and in the last few weeks, you look at what's going on in the world and especially what's going on in terms of a cost of living crisis that's, that's getting worse by the day. We're looking at astronomical energy bills, chances are that people's mortgage is going to cost a lot more money in the next few months than they did a few months ago. There's increased pressure externally now as well as at work. And I just worry that employers are not going to be across that. They're not going to realise that the usual kind of relaxation which comes at home actually might turn into the pressure cooker instead. Yeah, because absolutely. I mean, you know, what we might start seeing is Lizzie sort of raised a point of there, like, um, you know, having a break doesn't always mean just sitting down and having a rest, which absolutely you should do because sleep is very important. And, you know, you know, having a sit down and a nice relax is very, you know, healing. But also, you know, we might start to see people having to give up their hobbies, 
that they do, you know, because money is is going to get tighter. So I don't know what we're going to see in the future. But I mean, what I do hope is this podcast has been has been helpful in that, you know, employers do can do start to see the whole picture and do put in place these things that people can do to make sure that they're doing okay. Exactly. That top-down approach, I think, actually probably does work for mental health sometimes. If you look at everyone, each layer of management has to be looked after. And I think if each layer of, of management is healthy and is looking after themselves, then they're in a much, much better position to look out and look after the people that report into them. Yeah, really, really important. And it's really important that we don't just sort of, like Leslie mentioned it in passing, send out the odd email from HR every couple of months saying, oh, by the way, there is this service here if you want it. How many people actually access that service? I'd be interested to know, but I, I doubt it's very many. I think it's got to be a it's got to be a core strategy. It's got to penetrate every single aspect of your business. Because mm. as you're spot on, Beth, and I think it's going to get really, really tough over the next few months. And I think we've all got to look out for each other, both in the food and bev industry and beyond. Just sort of coming to a bit of a conclusion here. This reminds me of something I heard really recently. So, as a child, I was always taught the the mentality of treat others how you'd like to be treated. And was that something you were told as well? Yeah, yeah, I think that's pretty universal, isn't it? Well, I actually heard, don't ask me where the source was, sorry. <laughs> probably probably some sort of social media platform, but someone said, actually, that's a, that's a really bad mentality to have because how you want to be treated isn't necessarily how someone else wants to be treated. And it's about respecting someone and, and kind of learning how how they want to be treated rather than imposing. And I think that's what Leslie was saying, you know, about employers telling people what to do and telling them how they should cope with things. And really, I think, as you said, we need to look after one another and we need to listen to one another. And that's how we're going to move forward. Spot on, Bethan. And I think I know we are trying to a close, but something that I've been trying to do recently, and it does help me in the workplace as well, is realise that, as Leslie said, there are humans behind the eyes and everyone's got their own thing going on. So if someone sort of speaks to you a bit curtly or is a bit off with you in the morning, you kind of think, oh, rather than reacting, you know, what's wrong with them? What have I done? Like, you just take a step back and think, oh, well, you know what? You never know what's happened that morning. Um, you never know what's going on at home. To be honest with you, I, I, I try to apply it in my daily life. Someone cut in front of me in the queue for the train the other day. I thought you were going to say, I did something to you then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Bethan was being horrible to me last week. Yeah, that would have been a reveal, wouldn't it, on three to go? No, I, I, I try to apply it in my daily life. Someone pushed in front of me in the queue for the train rather than think, I've got to get angry. I thought, oh, well, you never know. Maybe they just need to get the train. And I find that actually makes puts me in a better place as well. So maybe that's something that we can all do. That's nice. Also, I love the fact that maybe they needed to get on the train. Of course they needed to get on the train. Oh, you know what I mean? Imagine if they got on the carriage and like, well, I didn't, I just pushed my way on, but I didn't need to be on this train. (laughs) I think rather than my instinctive reaction, which is, oh, my God, how rude. I now just trying to think, oh, well, yeah, it was rude, but maybe. Maybe they're not a rude person. They've just got a few things going on. I think that's something we can apply at work as well. As Bethan said, we've got to listen to each other because it's not going to be easy in the next few months. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, that is all we have time for today. Um, thanks again to Leslie um, for her you know, insights. And as ever, to you, Josh, for your insight, if we can call it that. Thank you, Bethan. Yeah, I, I enjoyed this one. I feel quite fuzzy and warm. It was lovely, uh, really important, but a nice feel-good one. Compared to sort of the usual fare of salmonella, Listeria, inflation. This was quite a nice human-based pod, which I, I enjoyed. It. Yeah, as I said to Leslie, it feels quite healing. It's yeah, like, I it's do. Like, it's like, it does. It's yeah. like drinking a hot chocolate. It does. Um, I'm just heading back to my desk to write about heavy metal contamination. So I'll take that. <laughs> 
it's yin and yang. Do you know what I mean? It's, it's one moment it's cadmium and lithium in baby food, and the next moment it's it's worker wellness in, in manufacturing. You, you're never going to read a more heartwarming news story about heavy metal contamination than the one you're about to write. Yeah, no, look out for it. Look out for it. It'll be lovely. Yeah, because you're going to be in that mood. <laughs> <laughs> As ever, you can find all of our podcast episodes wherever you get your podcasts from spotify soundcloud acast the new food website any others that i've forgotten to mention just make sure you search for the new food podcast or food to go and if you're feeling super generous and super fuzzy after this one give us a like subscribe make sure you never miss an episode um, because we'll be back again very very soon with even more food to go lovely plug josh and i'm sure we won't be as fuzzy next time we'll we'll be back with the doom and gloom we'll find the most depressing subject we can (laughs) Take care. Thanks for tuning in.